where like rangefinders that like now known pro and known yardage is the thing back then there was no i mean that was like sleeping with your sister you didn't use a rangefinder like you'd get kicked <laughs> off of course uh, A Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Heck yeah, man. Dude, we put a lot of food in the ground every year, you know, seemingly more and more, and uh, we have a ton of fun with it during the off season. Uh, there's some struggles that come with it too, though, right? Obviously, the back of my truck is evidence, you know, right now. It's mm-hmm. a couple of weeks after uh, I jackknifed, you know, a 4,800-pound uh, material spreader, you know, as I was coming down, and it's just it was too much weight for my truck there. But, you know, all those struggles aside, you know, dude, Deer Grill really has been a staple for our food plotting process uh, for several years now. Yes, we like to put lime and fertilizer on the plots, you know, if we can, but there are some that it's just we're not able to get to them or it's not feasible for us to get out of state with that stuff and so deer grow is kind of the, the quick and easy but still super effective option for us to be able to get the most out of those food plots that we can every year yeah, and i mean we're guilty of over analyzing things just like everyone else but that's the best part about deer grow is that it's going to create healthier soils which in turn makes better food plots and the fact is is we can simply spray plot start or plot till when we put the seed in the ground and then when that plant starts to grow we hit it with boost we know that we walk away when we come back it's going to be a great looking food plot for anybody that's looking to try deer grow if you use the code hunter15 that's h-u-n-t-r-1-5 at checkout for deergrow.com and save 15 percent on any of your deer grow products it's a great way to get started on this and just see what the results are for yourself better food plots bigger deer and we're back hey hunter podcast episode 147 we've been all over the place today what episode is it? <laughs> yeah. We had a bonus app. It's an episode. This is an, an, an episode. An episode. It is. Well, no, you have your part. Sorry. Hey, thank you guys for listening. If you enjoy <laughs> our stuff, go ahead and give us a like, follow, subscribe <laughs> on uh, YouTube and Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We appreciate you guys. That we do. Okay. Now we're good. A quick, it, a quick reading from Jared. Quick reading. <laughs> Can we have a quick reading from Jared? It's like reading rainbow. Uh, it is September 14th. But you're listening to this September 20-something. September 26th. 26th. So for a lot of people, this will be the last podcast that they listen to before opening day, deer season. Mm. (laughs) Many seasons opening. (laughs) Uh, What is it this year? September 30th? 30th. Yeah, Saturday. So that's... um, that would be Ohio and Pennsylvania, or September 30th, right? Probably a lot of the northeast eastern stuff. I think Illinois, same. October 1 always. Doesn't matter. Really? I think it doesn't matter day of the oh, week. weird. Pretty sure. That's weird. I think it is. Nah, I can't be right. I think so. That sounds like a Flynnism. Nah. A little Flinner. I'll check it out. <laughs> I'll check it out. While we're talking, I'll check it out. Um, but yeah, no, it's a lot of seasons opening up, both seasons opening up. Should be pretty baller. If you're walking through that. Um, <laughs> but we have a guest tell, today. He may have to download the app. You can tell him that. Oh, he does have to download. We have a guest today. Hopefully. I'll yeah, see if we can get him we're, on. We're, Old Aaron Schneider's trying to finagle his app around Well, here. he's came down off the mountain for us. Yeah, he made some time to came out of the clouds for us. I'm sure that's probably pretty difficult. That You know, I don't know who I was talking to. It was somebody talking about elk hunting recently, and... Uh, it kind of made me realize, like, especially if you're a bow hunter in the West, like, dude, you've got like four weeks, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Like, four weeks is like the archery seasons for muleys, elk, et cetera. And then it's rifles. Yeah, I think that's right. Yes. 
mainly like the month of September or some of the sheep hunts and stuff are in August, mm-hmm. like Travis telling us. Yeah, I mean, some pronghorn stuff in August. Yeah, and it's like, it's much more survival-based too. And so they just go, like, you know, however they're getting there, they're hi- hiking from the, the trailhead or yep. something. I mean, those Alaska hunts guys are getting flown in and stuff. So, dude, I don't know. Aaron reached out, like, on on Instagram, for and was like, hey, like the podcast. So we've been just chatting a little bit, and um, I know a little bit about Aaron, about, mm-hmm. you know, just, um, I think we've seen him on Rogan before, and he... Rogan, yeah. I believe owns Kafaru, Kafaru packs yep. and like so obviously it, the podcast there we've seen a lot and from the outside looking in is like a, a big prepper like in in terms of for mm-hmm. the season like military background I'm gonna say yeah I'm gonna say yeah. we'll find out yeah he's a hard ass for sure yeah well I I believe that <laughs> also it, and you know we'll get into it with him we might have an arm wrestling like a remote arm wrestling match here before the end of the yeah he's stacked he's a big dude too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, also know that he's involved with this uh, Born Primitive a little bit too. I'm not sure how, but... I didn't know, yeah, until you just yeah. said that a couple minutes ago. Yeah, I've been digging digging their shorts lately, wearing them. Yeah, uh, you're a big cutoff shirt guy, yeah? I am now. I had not been. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I like started, I bought a couple pairs of these. And I'm like, these are nice. They, they got flex in them. Like, yeah. you know, I got to be able to move. I yeah. got to be able to... Rock a split at a moment's notice. Yeah, man. If I got to do pull a squat in the middle of somewhere, you know, I need them to go with sure. me. Sure, sure. You do much squatting? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you do a full squat without um, bringing your heels off the ground? Yes. Yeah. Like a caveman squat? Yeah. 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 Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I was doing uh, uh, weighted uh, uphill packs this morning. Had a, Rocking? Yeah. I had a 65-pound weight vest on. Did a, did a mile straight uphill. Yeah, that's no joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was burning. For what? Just for yeah, getting ready. Preparedness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Being fitness for the season. Uh-huh. I felt good in the hills of Kentucky. Yeah. I was rolling. I'm glad but, you're not one of those guys that, no offense to Aaron if he is, but shaves, shaves your arm. You ever see him, guys? Shave his arm? I don't, I'm not saying Aaron is, but right. have you ever seen him, guys? Like the, the fitness guys that oh, yeah. shave their arms? Yeah. All right, we're going to jump to him. Aaron Snyder. Okay. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Muddy. Man, Jared, we probably have been using Muddy products for at least 10 years now. Long time, dude. It's been a long time. And I can remember when it was simply just safety harnesses and camera arms of all things. And, you know, that's evolved to where you and I both have a bunch of Muddy box blinds as well. I would say a bunch. But, yeah, they've come a long way. And certainly the box blinds are are huge. Shot that buck over your shoulder out of a Muddy box blind a couple years ago. The harness and and all of the other safety accessories really are are a major component of, of what Muddy offers for me. Um, you know, we've had some injuries in the past, you know, some, some tree stand accidents. This, this is all back before we were using, uh, you know, frankly, harnesses, mm-hmm. uh, the lineman's belt while we're hanging stuff, and the safe lines. I have those in every single one of, uh, you know, our fixed tree stands now. And uh, so we really have made safety a priority. Uh, that, that's a big deal for us. And, uh, you know, Muddy has everything we need for that. Yeah, and I think uh, the cool thing about Muddy is anyone listening to the Hunter podcast can save 20% using the code HUNTER20. That's H-U-N-T-R-2-0. Uh, anything that you can see on the Muddy Outdoors store online, use that code. Save yourself 20% for this hunting season. Go Muddy. And we've got Aaron on with us. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> Easy peasy, Smooth man. transitions. <laughs> huh? Well, listen, dude, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, I know you've just been up on the mountain here for a while. It's September out there, so I can imagine that's kind of the place you want to be. Yeah, yeah, I was gone. I was in northern British Columbia for five and a half weeks, I guess. So Holy yeah, I just cow. Got back here for a few days, and I head out again tomorrow. So five and a half weeks. Whoa, 
yeah, it was a good, it was a long trip. It was a good trip, but, but yeah, I appreciate you guys having me, having me on. And uh, yeah, I had, I spent the last few days physically recuperating. I'm not getting any, getting any younger. So <laughs> I to have a little break. I know, dude, I said on the last podcast this morning, it's like, when we come home, it's like our wives are like, Oh, you came home. He should be rested. He was just doing this thing he wanted to do. I'm like, no, dude, I need to go to the freaking hospital. Like <laughs> we were just in battle for five weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. What, uh, what were you hunting? Uh, so I hunted a uh, mountain goat myself and then I helped out on, uh, what I guess four, four stone sheep and five mountain goat, hunt. no, three stone sheep and five mountain goat hunts while I was up there. So, wow. Yeah. Is that, would you say that's your primary like species? You do a lot of sheep hunting from year to year. Man, I don't personally do hardly any. That's kind of a rich man's sport. I, I, I definitely so help out on a lot of them, but, yeah. um, you know, the whole sheep hunting side of things is i don't want to say it's a rich man's sport because you know you can draw a sheep tag or whatever but if you you you'll notice like anybody that has the sheep bug or shot multiple slams not that they're not deserving of it but they have a lot of money yeah I mean, they, they've got access via money sure yeah stone sheep are like 65 to 85 grand oh sheep my are probably god no way. 30, is that is that just the tag Aaron? the hunt right so that's like booking a hunt with an outfitter because you know obviously non-resident or you know from the lower 48 or where we were from yeah um but doll sheep or you know that 34 to 40 range i guess now you can bighorn tags sometimes can go for 120 to 180,000. um you know for the hunt anyway it's it's an expensive sport so um (laughs) but I, i like going on them you know i like obviously i'm going back up there next year to to guide full time, um, with them. So I, yeah, it'll be fun. Wow, man. That's Very really cool. cool. Yeah. It, it's kind of funny. Cause I know you see like the, you know, the sheep slam stuff and things like that. And, and obviously, I mean, not, not easy species to go out there and kill either. Right. Um, but, but from, uh, access to them, like for most of us who are hunting, you know, East coast whitetails or Midwest whitetails, you know, we don't, we don't even fathom like the cost of barrier to entry there. I'm just thinking about how many farms I could buy with that much like, <laughs> cash on hand, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excuse Lushy. me. That's a good way to look at it though. I mean, the thing is like, you know, what you're, I don't look at it as farms, but how many mule deer yeah. hunts or goat hunts could I go on or whatever? Absolutely. Like, I really like mountain goat and mule deer hunts. So. Well, where are you from, Aaron? Uh, originally I'm from Oregon. Um, I'm in Wyoming. Okay. Uh, we moved the business to Wyoming about, uh, geez, almost two years ago now. And the business being Kafaru. Kafaru, correct. Yep. Is that the only business that you own? Uh, I'm part owner in that, uh, as well as the Born Primitive Clothing. Uh, I have a military training uh, company as well, uh, photography. Uh, and then I kind of consult for different companies as well as work on designs, things like that in the outdoor world. Yeah, no way. Jeremy had just mentioned this born primitive thing. So you're part owner of, yeah, he's wearing your shorts. I'm wearing, right I'm there. wearing the friggin' shorts, dude. I found them like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not much of a short guy to begin with, right? But like in the summer, it's hot and I'm sweaty as, yeah, yeah, as yeah. fuck. So it's like, sure. so yeah. I, I don't know what came across, probably an ad or something. And I saw these like cut off shorts and, you know, for me, they're like, oh, you know, flex. They got, you know, you can move in them. You can, I was like, all right, you know, I'll try these. And I got, and he I texted me about I texted him. You're him like, right hey, away. I know I, he's like, no homo. I, I know you're not much of a short guy, but you should check these out. <laughs> They're badass, dude. I've got, I've got a, a several pairs of them nice. at this point. Nice. You guys so, make pants too? Yeah. So, yeah. so that's, that's like the born primitive side, which Bear Handlin is the owner of that. And that's the, 
crossfit side outdoor you know whatever yep. and then there's the born primitive outdoor which um he owns that as well and i'm a uh, percentage owner in that gotcha cool yeah because i've seen uh, that's why i told jared i was like well i've seen aaron on some of the born primitive outdoor stuff talking about the different pants and te- you know technical yeah. features of them and stuff and i was like so i know he's associated with it somehow oh we've seen you around i mean our, our pals have kind of like <laughs> almost crossed in some I, we've seen you on rogan before right did you do that podcast yeah, I did a I did a podcast with with Rogan. Uh, it's been a few years now. I'm actually thinking about it. it's probably 2019. Maybe I did that. And who else was on that pod? There was some. There was another guy on that as well, right? No, no, not with me. Not with not the one. I it was just him and I. Just you and um, but I've had a lot of my friends on there. Um, you know, obviously, whatever that he and he's brought me up multiple different times for certain mm-hmm. conversations he's had or whatever. How cool. So, I can't say that was the first time, but I've seen I've seen you there, and uh, I mean obviously the Kafaru podcast stuff, the Kafaru stuff as well. Are you uh, you have any dealings with Brian Call? Is that like a buddy of yours or Brian and I used to have a, a do a podcast together, uh, Gritty Bowman? I think yeah, he, I think he changed the name of it to to, he to did. Gritty now because they do rifle and, and yep. bow hunts, and that was a few. So that was in 2016 before actually podcasts got really big, and then. That was, uh, we did a couple years we did that. And then I um, started Kafaru Cast. And then That's he right, kind of partnered yeah. up with Mountain Ops. And I'm not sh- I'm not sure what's going on now. I think he works with Go Go Hunt now, maybe. Hmm. I'm not 100% sure with him and Ryan Lampers. So. Okay, right on. Dude, there's a whole, like, the funnest thing for podcasting for Jeremy and I is just, just like networking, getting to know guys. And it's funny how, like, you get into different, different circles of guys and it's like holy crap we have a like a lot of mm-hmm. mutual connections you know more than any of us would probably think yeah oh yeah 100 percent. and i mean now i got my hands in so much different stuff and i'm not like the normal like i i may you know i don't run kafaru anders my my general manager runs kafaru i show up occasionally and screw things up but you know i'm, I'm out <laughs> in the field a lot and i do a lot of seminars and stuff like that but um you know with obviously like being able to do that you meet so many different people, whether I'm in an airport and they're like, Oh, Hey, I follow you or you hunted with my buddy or so it's yeah. always nice to, to have that. So you reached out initially. Was it because of the Matt Ranella podcast? Is that what it was? Mm. Or was it Josh Bomar? I can't remember. I don't know. I probably, I don't, I think I listened to one and said, good. I think I said good job on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, you did. And I was, Jeremy and I were together yeah. and I was like, check it out. Dude, Aaron just wrote us. <laughs> I think it might have been the Matt Ranella one because I did one with, with him, and he's a, he's a you know rare and delicate flower. Oh my! <laughs> Here, that's one way to put it. Yeah, that's yeah. about the best way to describe that one. Yeah, and now all that kind of started. It was weird because like uh, I respect his brother. His brother doesn't necessarily get along with with me that much just because of some of his financial backing stuff. But either way, like um, Matt was kind of connected with this dude that made a list of. Uh, the top 25 worst people for hunting. And I, I think I came in at a solid maybe 13th. Or oh, 7th, wow. Or really? So, and it was weird because there's a lot of misinformation and I was sponsored by Kafaru and I did it all for the gram and, you know, what the normal yeah. stuff. And I was laughing about it because I'm like, well, uh, believe me, like it has nothing, you know, Instagram's part of it, but I did this, you know, I'm, I'm working on, you know, I'm working on 50, but I'm 47 or, 
I'll be 47 in January. So I'm it's pretty close. You know, I didn't have cell phones when I was younger. There was no computers, yeah. you know, and I've hunted since first, basically. So Matt had made a comment because I said I was going to conk him in the head or something like that. <laughs> um, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just said he needed conked in the head. And so on a podcast he did, he said he was going to sodomize me with a fire extinguisher. So when he <laughs> asked me to be on his podcast, I said, I only have one condition that you actually try to do that. That's, that's it. And he's like, no, man, I'm an internet badass. Like there's no way I'm going to try to do that. So I was joking around with him and we had a good conversation. Um, yeah. He was a little bit out there in some of his, his views or whatever, but yeah, a little, yeah. A little harsh around the edges, a little uh, brash about how he's gone. A, about a lot it. of assumptions about people that frankly, he's never met or talked to, I yeah. think was the, the he, biggest with thing. a lot of underlying truth, frankly, you know, I mean, think, I think we did find a lot of common ground, but just, you know, it, it's a, it's hard the way he's gone about it. It's a little rough. He, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I understand about hunting pressure and things like that, but there's also, uh, different ways to go about things. And, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like you're always going to have followers that agree with you, right? You go mm -hmm. to a Catholic church and you preach Catholicism, you're going to nail it, right? Everybody's going to agree with right. you. But, you know, if, depending upon how you come about something or how you present it to the world, uh, you know, is going to really tell the story of, of the rest of the book you're writing or whatever you mm -hmm. want to look at it. And when, you know, you, you come on there and say Joe Rogan's, horrible for hunting and, and Steve yeah. Rinell is the worst thing ever. And yeah, it's probably not a good way to, to start, but what do I know? Right. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I think the big thing that you kind of see there too is like something we did uh, have some common ground with Matt was, was, you know, talking about hunter access and the need for, you know, more expansive programs. And one of the things that he mentioned is like, yeah, I wish the industry would get in on it. In the same breath, he was shitting all over every manufacturer under the sun, you know. Right. And it was like, dude, you can't you can't shit on these guys and then turn around and ask them to fund your project. It, it took a while to get there too, man, because he he's like so he's from Montana, right? Yeah. So I mean, he's very much no, a, he's a, he's a Michigan he's not, guy originally. He's not from Montana. He's just living okay. there now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, so his whatever his mission his his mindset is around you know these these trailheads being crowded and like not being able to draw tags and we kind of charged into the conversation head on with like oh corn, corn piles and crossbows in the northeast and like you know public land access issues and, and overcrowding and stuff like that and so it was interesting to try to find some common ground with the issues we're facing versus what he's and a lot of you western guys are probably facing well and i mean i get it like i i do promote hunting and i promote people getting outdoors and, you know, obviously, you know, taking animals and eating them and his big thing in that podcast, one of the funniest parts of it is he's like, do you believe in the North American model for conservation? I'm like, well, yeah, of course it's kind of an all or nothing thing. And yep. He immediately just dives in and he's like, so uh, according to my researchers, you shot 11 animals last year. And I was like, oh no, hell no. I said, I, I probably shot 50, uh, maybe more. And it probably, I mean, honestly, it's probably a hundred. Um, and, uh, you know, in his mind, like that was against the North American model right. of conservation. And depending upon how you understand that or read that, I look at it totally differently. I have a ton of employees here and I give them all wild game. I eat, I consume personally at least 400 pounds a year, if not more. Uh, my wife gives gifts baskets out when she sells a house of wild right. game. Give it to the neighbors, right? Like spread the, hey, mm -hmm. honey's not bad. You no. know, it's a, you know, valid and valuable resource. Um and, and, you know, it, it, it helps show people like, hey, these guys aren't cutting the heads off and leaving on the 
the mountain. He doesn't look at it that way, right? So then I was also trying to explain, hey, a lot of these are in Oklahoma and Texas that I'm shooting private land. Right. No one can hunt it. It's access I have. So then the access thing came up and he was like, well, I think you should allow hunters on that land. And I'm mm. like, so you're going to tell a cattle rancher, third generation, second generation, brand new cattle rancher, bled, sweat, tears, poured his life into that land that he shouldn't guide on it, that he should just let people he's never met. And it's like, that's part of his income too. And he's earned that. He's, yep. earned, he's earned that right. Yep. And so it just, the whole conversation was a little weird for me, but, oh, yeah. um, you know, it went, it went all right. Yeah. Yeah. That was an interesting one for us for sure too. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, the, at the end of the day, and I mean, however you want to look at him or not, like the fact that him and his brother are literally estranged at this point over this, you know, dispute is, fucking sad like i mean the fact that you've let that get to that level is like geez man like i understand that you feel like this is a big mission here but you know kind of listen to the people around you like you're saying some things that are pretty you know pretty spot on but you're saying a lot of things that you know nobody else is really agreeing with you anyways and that's the stuff that's burning the bridge with your brother there's also a pretty significant house that's been built maybe more on steve's side but you know uh Matt is building his, you know what I mean? It's like, dude, uh, Steve Rinella owns like an empire of like, you know, hunt, hunting influence from his content media to uh, all the manufacturing brands that are involved. Like there's, there's no turning away from that. It's not like you're like, you're, you're right, dude. I got, you know, Steve's done a, Steve's done a lot of good for the industry. I mean, sure. you know, so I mean, again, it's, it's just different outlooks in life and you know, it's no skin off my ass, like whatever, right? You, yeah, you we don't opinion, re- we I don't really have an opinion there. We don't we've never met Steve. You know, Matt was our first conversation and we, we see from a distance, we're like, Oh yeah, hey, mediators always top of the charts and Netflix and all this and uh Yeah. Whatever. Well no, I, I mean when I say opinion, like I Matt's opinion is his opinion. It's a free country. He yep. can have that opinion, it's not a big deal, but you know, when you talk about hunter recruitment, there'll be people say, and don't even bring up hunter recruitment, that's stupid. We don't need more hunters. Well, what if you were that guy, right? What if what if you were that person that nobody recruited you? Mm-hmm. So why, why do I have the gift of getting to hunt and Joe Smith down the road that's like starting to look into it, sees the meat eater? Should I not help him get into the outdoors? Should we hoard it? You know, and I, yeah. I just don't think that we should. I'm not saying it's a perfect system. Yeah. Um, I don't either. And I think that we could, you know, do different things on tag allocation and shit like that. But, you know, I mean, it's hard for me for something I love so much to not share that. Right? Yeah, it's hard agree. for me it's to a- not give advice to help somebody do a backpack hunt or whatever. A hundred percent. That's exactly what we told him to, because he was like pointing fingers at the hunting public being like, yeah, I think it's super unethical what they're doing. And I'm like, I, I can't, I can't in, in good faith, you know, say that you shouldn't tell people about the thing that you love and are, are super passionate about. Like you, you should do that. I think where we well, go ahead. You probably shouldn't give away like super good areas. No right? doubt. You make people earn it. You know, I get that part of it, but no doubt. The thing is, is like, if I'm heading to, well, this isn't a good example because I've done it my whole life, but I'm, if, if I'm coming from back East and I'm doing an elk hunt and you're going to do it anyway, right? You're going. Yep. And, and you shoot me a message and I say, oh, hey, probably want to bring this sleeping bag and, you know, uh, whatever, um, you know, don't camp this far from water and you have to check whatever. I'm not giving away areas, but the person's going anyway and you kind of want them to have some chance at success or I do. So, yeah. Yeah. Or at least to be safe and don't do anything stupid, you know, that's going to yeah. get themselves injured, you know, because 
Yeah, I, I think that's the big thing that, you know, Matt is looking at it holistically and saying, like, all of this media is bad, and and that's just not the case, right? I mean, there's a lot of great stuff out there that that is helping people, even seasoned hunters who maybe, you know, are, haven't gone on elk hunts and experienced, myself included. Like, I, I went on one of my first elk hunts uh, a week ago, and, you know, a couple of days before, I'm sitting there watching YouTube videos, understanding how to make better cow calls and, and bugles. Cause it's not yeah. something I do, you know, yeah. and it's, it, are those media and, and you had a bull at 30 yards. Yeah. I caught a bull into 30 yards. It <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, you know, it, he may have been half retarded or something. I don't know. But you know, it, at the end of the day, like or it, full. Yeah, full. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know, but it, it's still like, those are the things that are put out there that clearly are valuable to everyone, you know, not just new hunters, but, but everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too, like, uh, with, you know, the doing it for the gram and, and things like that. Like there's totally people doing it yes. for the gram. I'm not denying that, but like, you, I mean, the, my thing is like, you know how much more shit would die if I didn't have Instagram? Oh, I know. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. like I would be hunting way more than I do now. And, yes. I, and I'm not a big fan of social media. I'm trying to exit off of, of social media, you know, sooner than later, but you know, so I can't say, Hey, I'm a big fan of it, but it does at times have very, good qualities about it and it's got bad ones but you can't always focus like you know as i'm getting older and looking at things differently in life like for fuck's sake you can't always focus on the worst shit or you're going to slit your wrist by the time you're 40 mm. right? like there are a lot of good people out there there's a lot of good hunters out there. there's a lot of new hunters out there and so you know you can't just look at the bad stuff all the time which a lot of people tend to do so yeah for sure well, one thing that i really did i think we all kind of agreed on was like th there's a lot of intentional uh whatever it is is r1 the recruitment yeah I'll, there's a lot of intentional recruitment monies that like probably is not necessary if you would take that money and put it into improving the experience creating whatever it is more access more whatever dude hunt, hunting's freaking cool enough as it is like most of us have somebody or have seen something that would influence us to say hey that's that's pretty cool that's something i would want to get into like i don't know if the r1 is as necessary as like Probably not. Um, I mean, paying people to, you know, promote hunting in Arizona and other things was probably the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. Cause like I went to Arizona the last few years and uh, definitely paying people money that could be used for wildlife habitat or yep. restoration, things like that was some of the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. So yeah, I, that part I don't really understand, but again, that's just my opinion. I mean, I'm not an expert. I just, uh, Sure. Who, you know, neither are we. Yeah. I, th I think a lot of the, the discussion that, that we have around it, um, when you talk about the recruitment side, at least, is the retention area, right? And that's, to Jared, to your point, the experience, the access, like, you know, how much effort is going into essentially keeping the hunters who are actively hunting happy, yeah. um, you know, around experience, around access, around ability to draw tags, like that, that's... I think that's one thing that, you know, certain agencies, I think, do a good job. I think other ones take their eye off of that one because they focus so heavy on recruitment. Sure. Yeah. Moving targets. No, I sure. would agree. Yep. So, you know, Aaron, kind of looking at your background, grew up in, in Oregon, um, I, I assume, or kind of military background? Yeah, I was in the military for a while. So I, I joined, I guess, in 94. Um, and then I was in for a few uh, years, I was a combat engineer at 12 uh, Bravo, and then I got 
out of the army and didn't really know what I was going to do. So I actually worked at an archery shop for a while and uh, amongst other things. And then uh, the short version, I, I had a, a guy that came in that I was working on his bow and he owned one of the larger commercial glass shops. So he did uh, high rises and curtain walls, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, he picked me up and I started uh, doing that. He took good care of me as far as um, training me and everything else. And I was I'm pretty good at math as far as construction math. So I uh, did that for quite a while, I guess, several years. Um, mostly like uh, my, you know, my thing was like the curtain walls, revolving doors, big entryways, Euro shower doors, things like that. And then um, I uh, started helping out at Kafaru um, a little bit. Um, this is really the condensed version. Um, uh, Patrick Smith owned it at the time. That's who we bought it from. Mm -hmm. He kind of took me under his wing and then Oh, I helped him out for a couple years and kind of just decided one day I need to shit or get off the pot if I'm going to try to live outside um, more than I already was. And so, you know, at that time I was, you know, doing a lot of things that were not probably monetarily the smartest thing in the world to do. So I, I didn't have any furniture. I slept on a like a thermorest air pad and spent every bit of money I had to try to go outside. And I don't mean like on extravagant hunts, like literally just afford to go backpacking and hunting locally um and then uh, i ended up i quit um and uh one thing led to another and, and it actually you know p panned out and became the president of kaforo in 2014 and then uh, bought it in 2019. wow so so almost four years or right around four years of ownership right now on the kaforo side no no mm, so let's see man maybe we bought it in 2020 so we bought it in 2020 because oh, wow. it'd be like two and a, two and a half years, I guess now. Okay, and uh, I mean, how did you feel? Obviously, twenty twenty world was going to shit, right? Uh, I bought a business in twenty twenty also. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it, it, what uh, you obviously f were familiar with the business and kind of had a vision, I assume, of of where you saw or where you wanted this company to go, right? Yeah, yeah, I did, and I mean, obviously, we're still working on that now. We have a lot of. It took a while. Obviously, it was family owned and operated and, you know, they did well. Um, you know, we were growing like crazy uh, the last few years since I'd come on board. And but, you know, there was other things that we wanted to do and, and uh, make somebody I can't talk about. Things were coming out in January mm -hmm. um, and other things that we'll be coming out with it. Once we got kind of the day to day, the operational side figured out and, and kind of restructured things like that, that um you know we're now a little more ready to take on the the world so it's gone really well so far mm. very cool man i say really well it's been an epic fucking pain in the ass but it also yields some pretty epic opportunities at the on the other side of it yeah oh yeah uh yeah. owner's guy's name was pa patrick did i hear that right yeah so it was pa patrick, patrick was like yeah. a a friend like kind of a mentor he said he kind of took you under his wing well patrick only had daughters uh so uh. At that time, I was spending, you know, 150 nights a year in the wilderness, you know, more than I should have been. And he was intrigued by that, especially in, in his case, you know, a younger generation, um, you know, and, and liked some of my views and how I did things and living off the land, that type of thing. And so, you know, he he um, he and I bonded, you know, father son type of bonding. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he was a pioneer in a lot of different things, a lot of things people don't even know about. But he owned Mountain Smiths. Um, 
which Mountain Smith is kind of in the backpacking world now and, and not the company it was when he owned it. But he sold that at one time and then started Kafaru, mm. um, you know, focusing more on comfort, durability, uh, tactical, like a tactical line as well. And, and uh, that obviously um, with, you know, the ultralight stoves and teepees, uh, he pioneered that. He mm. had a lot of patents in the industry. Wow. The MSR snowshoes, for example, that was his design shit 30 years ago he came up with those yeah. uh, and then msr you know he sold it to them so anyway he was a pioneer in a lot of different things so it was cool to be mentored under him yeah, yeah. absolutely and then like over what course of time did you kind of rise to ultimately said you were the president of, of the company um probably 2011 or 12 i was like a got a small percentage in sales in the hunting line and then you know, kind of went from the bottom up, you know, helped assemble backpacks and, and answer the phone, customer service. And then, yeah, in 2014, I was made, uh, you know, uh, president, general manager, whatever. Um, and so fairly quickly, uh, but we were growing at a really rapid pace as well. Um, and then, yeah, to, whatever it was, 2019 or 20, and I can't remember when it started, but I was on a mule deer hunt in Arizona and he had called me and uh just said hey you know you're the, the son i never had and, and kind of the rightful heir to the throne he'd like he'd like me to purchase the company from him and um i was like man i don't think i have that kind of juice but i've got uh, a friend of mine that i think would be interested partnering up on it uh which is chad shumway uh my business partner and, and so chad and i bought it um uh whatever 2020 i guess now think about yeah and uh so, and, it, and that's gone really well. Chad's an amazing, you know, person. And, you know, we have other business ventures we're kind of partnered on as well. So, Sorry. and I met him from guiding him actually oh, on well. a few different hunts. So. Hmm. Amazing, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, on a guided hunt, you, you spend enough time together out there and, you know, seems like the, the client and the guide either love each other or hate each other by the time it, it's done. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, actually it's kind of weird. I was on one of the hunts I was just on, which I hopefully he's cool with me saying this. I, uh, was helping out uh, Troy Link. He owns Jack Link's Jerky. Oh yeah, uh, you know, extremely wealthy guy, but just super down to earth. And he and I became, you know, real close friends. But it's like, you know, that guy, um, again, great dude. But like the 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 people you meet and how friendships start and business relations or whatever. Like it was cool hanging out with him and, and Justin, his kind of right hand man on that hunt. And then now, obviously, we're partnering up with him on certain things with Kafaro and, and Jack Links and you know, other things as well. So it, it's crazy how life works and, you know, just being, not saying I'm perfect or, or anything else, but just being a good person and relatable and, yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's nothing worse than being on a hunt with a bunch of fucking dickheads. So Absolutely. it's always yeah. that. Dude, the Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Oh, dude, it's almost fall. You and I are both going to be in a tree stand with brand new Hoyt bows. We're going to be shooting the RX-7 carbon bow this year. I know Hoyt's also got the Venoms out, both equally smooth shooting, quiet bows. Heck yeah, man. We got a convert on our hands this year. We got a lifelong crossbow guy with a vertical bow in his hands for maybe the first time ever, a good friend of mine. And uh, we've got them all decked out with uh, the inline accessories uh, from the QAD integrated ultra rest uh, to the quiver. And also he's got the SL sidebar mount with a couple of stabilizers from Hoyt as well. So that's going to be a sick shooting bow. Yeah. And Hoyt's been cool enough that anyone listening to this can save 20% on any of the soft good apparels online using the code Hunter, H-U-N-T-R, no E. Uh, and if you want to look at the latest lineup of Hoyt bows, check out your local Hoyt dealer. Get serious, get Hoyt.
Dude, what is there like in life, like an adventure hunt, like like something like a, like a wilderness hunt, something like that, that that bonds people in the way that that does? I just we spent the first two hours of this morning recapping a North Dakota hunt that I just did with a, a buddy um, uh, out there, and we we had never met in person and stuff, and and same deal. He was unofficially, uh, you know, h- helping me out essentially, and it's like. It's mm-hmm. like, dude, you come away from those things with like, you know, we, we've made a memory for a lifetime, like a, a lifelong friendship. And it's like, man, I don't know. Oh, man. I, what else is there that, that creates that kind of a bond in people in that short of a time? You know, I think one of the biggest factors and it kind of goes back I don't know, a few podcasts ago, we talked about it. But and and Aaron obviously said it. So I'm 39, Aaron. But, you know, when I grew up, like I didn't have social media, I didn't have a cell phone, I didn't have any of that shit. So like, you know, pretty much every time we went, you know, hunting, it was, you know, interaction, camaraderie, you know, with people, there were no distractions. I think that's what you see on these wilderness hunts is that, you know, it's one of the few times that we're a little bit more disconnected, uh, which forces us, frankly, to interact with other fucking human beings. Like, you know what I mean? Like, think about it. And it's scary because like, you know, my kids in in middle school now and it's like these kids don't even talk to each other. Like they're the the human interaction. I mean, it's terrible. It's it's funny you bring that up because you get in the younger demographic and I'm not, you know, I'm not I'm not bashing any age or generation. Right. Like that was the worst, right? When I was a kid and you had old guys telling you how stupid you were, but <laughs> like, uh, contact, um, person to person contact, right? You can meet the most shining star on social media, male or female, right? And very out in the open and very happy. And then you meet them and they're like a social misfit in person because Absolutely. their entire life. I mean, like, even like right now, um, you know, the guy at the end of the table is on the phone, right? You didn't have that. <laughs> 30 years ago, right? There, there was no phone to be on now. And I'm, I'm just as guilty as, as he is. <laughs> I'm only not on mine because I'm using it to talk to you guys. But you go, go to a go to a gas station and everybody's in line. They're looking at their phone. Yeah. I had to freaking right? yell at Jeremy on our last podcast because I'm telling him a story. And he's over texting. I was like, hey, dude, I can't focus conduct, while you're texting. Conduct business. I mean, that's it, though. I mean, and I think that, like, we've talked about it before, but... There's so much, and there's only so much shit that our brains can process at a time. Like I, I think anymore, man, we are on, we're, our brains are on freaking overload all the time, like all the time. The the dopamine drip, yeah. And I mean the, the the reality of it. Like I said, I'm I'm just as guilty as I was giving you. Sure, yeah, on man. Um, yeah, no, it is, man. I mean, <clears throat> the fact is, is I think that when you, it, and these things are a blessing and a curse, right? I mean, because my business, I can go and hunt and travel and do things. And I still have my business right here. Right. I don't necessarily have to be in the office for that stuff. But, you know, I think that if you look back to like what that interaction was, like even, you know, in high school and stuff like that versus what it is now, like, I don't, that's scary. I don't know what the, and I think that's the problem we see coming out is like when some of these kids get into an actual uh, workforce to where they have to like communicate with people, no idea. They're terrible. They're, they're, I mean, they have no freaking idea what they're doing. Well, yeah. and it's, it's crazy again. And I don't know what's everybody, where are we looking at age? It sounds like the old, I'm the old man of the yeah. sea here. 39, 30, 30, 26, 25. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's rewind since you're the, the youngest guy, right? So at 26, right. Um, you know, for, for me, they just came out with cell phones, right. And, and it was not, cheap and it was this big i think it was motorola oh yeah or i can't remember and it was probably a dollar a minute or whatever and internet like 
for me anyway, the dial up wasn't even there. Like I played Oregon trail or whatever the hell they had, school, <laughs> but I went to yeah. a really small school, you know, so Jenny fell off the was, raft. Scurvy. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> Nothing. I was making a Oregon, Oregon trail reference. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You, you have cholera or whatever. Yeah. Um, that is exactly. game, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great game. <laughs> <laughs> but well, back like then, you, you walked a lot more, right? And then you had more, you know, you had fitness, you were playing soccer or football or baseball, you were doing whatever fishing, outdoor stuff, you know, depending upon where you're from, but way more human interaction because you couldn't just hand a kid a phone and say, yeah. get out of my hair. Where now that's the phone's kind of a babysitter. So it's ingrained to them, just like dieting, right? When you're, your kid's good, you give them candy. Wow, fuck, that's probably not, you know, I'm not the parent of the year, right? But as, I, as I'm getting older, like, okay, do you really reward someone with something that bad? Because now that positive connotation rather than negative, right? Yeah. They have a positive connotation to eating candy. If I'm really good, I get to get fat, right? And not everybody's going to eat fat from eating candy where, you know, it's just different now. And I ate really unhealthy when I was a kid, but you get my point. Like now you don't have, you have a health fitness problem in the world today, especially in the U S you have a technology problem an easy button problem. So like, now, when you head into the woods, fuck my life, you've got Google Earth, Spartan Forge, Onyx, Base Map, mm-hmm. fucking GPSs. You have every, you can't get lost. And if you do, you are really fucking retarded. Right? <laughs> you didn't have that back then. But now, how do I navigate? Yeah. Boom, you can type it in. You know, I am lost. What do I do? You didn't, didn't have that shit back then. So the, even like the Garmin Zero site. Fuck, we've made archery so easy. We have a site that not only tells mm-hmm. you how far the fucker is, it moves the pin. Moves the pin for you. So as I'm going off on the, on the deep Preach. end, the happiest day Preach. of my life. Keep when, going. When they, when they introduced a rangefinder, I actually killed an antelope that year, right? I yep. <laughs> the easy button portion of things, and I'm not picking on, you know, you're 25 or 6. That's not the point. It's just that. At that time, you did have to earn things a little bit more than you do now. And that's not your age. That's just life and how things have changed. So, like, right now, if I said, hey, I, I need you to go, I, you know, let's go on a backpack hunt or whatever. You have forums. You have social media. You, ready you have for that YouTube. Night? Back then, you had get the fuck out there and figure it out. Right? Yeah. That's all you had. <laughs> so, well, and that's what I was going to ask you, Aaron, because like, Jared and I are not nearly as familiar with like the Western style of hunting as we are in the Midwest and East. I mean, that's kind of our bread and butter. Uh, and we have seen, you know, that game change over the last 10 years or so with Onyx, Spartan Forge, all these new technologies, cell cams for the whitetail side. I mean, how how significant has it changed out West here over the last 10 or 15 years? Game camera is not really at all, in my opinion, but the uh, technology side on uh, mapping yeah. software, um, you know, and, uh, excuse me, not in reaches, GPSs, things like that. Yeah. Um, quite a bit, uh, but like a lot, you know, like, like that's probably the worst thing that's happened. And I, as I say that they're good. Like I, I don't like, I, like I, I'm a big fan of, of Spartan Forge and I work with them. And when I say bad, what, what do we mean by bad? Right. Okay. Is it bad to get people in and out safe? No, no. of course not. Hunter pressure, that's that's bad, you know, yeah. I guess. So, like, those portions. But all of these things are, when I say fixable, they're all controllable. Tag allocation, that's controllable, right? Um, now, when I say that, you know, some of the things that people complain about don't make as much sense as others. 
other than like when you put in for a tag. So like if they only give out 200 tags for unit 681, they're giving those tags out no matter what, right? But more people may be putting in for them. So there's not over pressure. You're only getting 200. Right. You only give 200 tags. Just your draw but there's odds. More people, yeah, your draw odds are decreasing, mm. right? So I, I get that. So the pressure on the ground isn't as any higher. It's just there's more there's less of a chance for you drawing the tag. Yep. But once they get in there, their probability should be higher of killing something than it was 30 years ago because of technology. The also the other flip side of that coin is there was more laziness now. So what you had to do back then required you to have a lot more boots on the ground, learn field craft, woodsmanship, you could just become a better outdoorsman because you had to learn it on the ground. Now you can kind of half ass wing it and get out there so maybe that person might not be as good of a hunter as somebody from 20 or 30 years ago because they had to have more boots on the ground Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that's kind of we we even see that in the whitetail side like i mean you know before i even step foot on a property first thing i'm doing is pulling up maps and i'm looking i'm marking some areas i want to get boots on the ground basically i'm being more efficient with my time on the ground um, using yeah. those mapping softwares. Well, and we don't really have some of those safeguards in place. Not that I'm necessarily advocating for them, but there's plenty of like over-the-counter whitetail states. You know what I mean? There's yeah. states you can go to and it's like, man, it'll take as, as many people as want to buy tags. You know, you keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, while we've got all the, like you, you guys aren't as familiar with Western hunting. You, like it sounds like you guys just went hunting out West, but not as, you know, not as, as much as obviously somebody that lives out here. So mm-hmm. like, if I asked all three of you, hey, you know, round table, um, I need you guys to come out. You know, I say need. You're going to go out west next year and hunt in pick a state, Idaho. Mm-hmm. What do you guys need to be successful? What do we need to be like as far as a gear list? No, no. What do you need to be? What, what What's the number one? What's the top three things you need to be successful to go out west and kill? Oh, them? I see. It's a test. <laughs> Like if we're doing it ourselves, DIY, we're going out ourselves. What are the three things we need? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to use a mapping software. Is going to be top three for me, probably. Mm-hmm. Not, not what you want, what you need to be successful. Hmm. I would say some sort of mapping software is fairly critical, and or you know, knowledge, and or compass, and or so- something for navigation, for sure. Mm-hmm. So whether those are GPS or uh, offline maps, or sorry, go ahead, Aaron. Okay. So, my bow. No, no, it's good. Still, I need my bow. Off the top of her head, I'd say that's one. I need my bow. Yeah, I need more than three things, dude. <laughs> yeah, you need your you know, bow arrow release rangefinder, the, the four essentials. I guess you so could like, do without a rangefinder if you had to. Yeah, so when I say the top three things, which I get to bow, obviously, I, I guess I was thinking that was a given that you would need your bow. So without that, okay. you know, you need to Back know to one. what an elk does, right? You, yeah. You need to know animal behavior. Yeah. No one ever mentions that on their top three. But... If you're going to kill something, mapping software will not really get it done as much as knowing habitat and sure. behavior, um, you know, knowing how to plan a route, land navigation, knowing how to get there. And if I took technology out of that question, right, mm-hmm. you know, other than a bow, what are you going to need? Well, you're going to need hard work and fitness. Yeah, you're gonna need that huge. You're gonna need no animal behavior, calling, things calling. Like that. Yeah, calling would be you're a big one. To, I was thinking you're gonna need shallow. to know how to not die, right? You're gonna need to know how to do <laughs> Yes, especially Nick. Those three things are never mentioned ever, and those yeah. are the three most important things. Generally, when I ask people, they're like, "Well, yeah, I'm gonna Water. need good clothing, and I'm gonna need mapping software, or whatever." And it's like, "Well, 
they were killing shit a lot longer. Yeah, before, before sure. that. Sure. And they were doing it without all of those things. And those They're also are the dying a lot more frequently, probably. I, I think the fitness <laughs> thing is one that, um, I don't know, it's hard to describe. Like, even to our whitetail guys, because, you know, whitetail hunters are probably the laziest hunters on, on the face of the earth. You know, either that or turkey hunters. I don't know. No offense. But, um, <laughs> well, just, you know, Western hunters kind of neat out of yeah. necessity. You have to have but, some I mean, sort of. But, I mean, I don't think people understand. Like, even for us on whitetail, like, we try to keep ourselves in real. Like, it just feels good to be able to hike all my gear in, hang a stand, or do whatever. And, like, you know, feel good when I get to the stand, not be, like, wow, dying. Dude, it's not just hunting. <laughs> I mean, if we're being real, like just for life just for for everyday life dude yeah. i mean to, to be able to keep keep your brain regular and stuff and i mean aaron you're i you got a hoodie on there but you're jacked right <laughs> I, you, I you work out a lot gym. yeah i mean with the fitness side of things it's also i mean i'm married but no 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 woman ever said man i wish your chest and arms were just a little bit smaller yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're just a little too hard <laughs> Um, and not not to say like obviously you know there's there's dudes that'll run me into the ground because I'm, I'm packing a little more size than, than than others but i mean the general just fitness right whether it's running or biking yeah. or lifting or whatever um you know but again like to have that total package and and, and when i say that meaning like uh, you find somebody who's decently fit and then they understand animal behavior habitat and, and woodsmanship and they're not afraid to go the distance I'll pick that guy, even yes. a fat guy of that version of that guy, than I would a skinny guy that knows none of those things. And the more you go out west, part of it is is fear, right? People are afraid to go farther. They're afraid to stay overnight. They're afraid to run out of food. And once you get past those fears, you your 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 horizon broadens greatly. Meaning, mm -hmm. you know, it takes two weeks to die without eating. So you can go a day without food, right? Like you run out of food at three, you don't have to go back and get more. Your ass is going to be fine for a couple of days. It's not that big of a deal. And, <laughs> and knowing that what your physical and mental capabilities are and that they can be pushed at a level that most people don't even understand, adding the field craft or woodsmanship to that and the animal behavior, you're probably going to be at a higher rate of success than someone that just focuses on like a fitness and mapping software yeah. or, or, or get gadgets, I guess. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's huge. A mental toughness, dude, that does definitely apply to whitetail hunting too. I mean, not that it's life or death, but I mean, the highs and lows of, of bow hunting any species was enough to, to get to somebody. I, yeah. I mean, I hunt whitetail a shitload and I can tell you right now, like I would far choose, uh, you know, packing in seven miles and killing elk and packing it out than sitting in a tree stand for 12 hours without seeing anything because that is the most <laughs> mental yes. toughness i've had to yeah. the other part's easier for me i'm used to it sitting there watching yeah. run around in circles sucks yes that's probably the funnest thing about getting to do some western hunts for us is like and we, we've talked about because so so much of the you know northeastern and midwestern stuff that we do is like speculation strategy and you know scarce scarce sightings you yeah, know trail cameras this and that when we get to go out to like the Dakotas, for instance, we went out and did a, a mule deer hunt in North Dakota and we're like, holy shit, dude, like it, it, there it all is. I can get up on this high point and I can see everything unfolding right in front of us. And it's like, not only that, we don't have to go sit somewhere and wait for him to come to us. Let's we go. Let's start chasing. Yeah. Go after him. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing, like, you know, if you're tier, tier, like stair stepping it or whatever, like, like, uh, you know, the Dakotas are a good place to start of like. I don't want to say entry level, but you know, it's mm -hmm. not a 
12 day backpack hunt, right? Yeah, for sure. Just getting your boot, boots on the ground, getting loose to glass things, stalking, things like that. And yeah. then, you know, obviously once you're at a, you, you know, it's kind of blown out of proportion. The, uh, what's the word? Uh, mm, well, too, too much whiskey over time has rotted my brain. Um, it is kind of shown in its highest positive light backpack hunting. Like oh, it's right. this sought after. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, a, it's a low barrier to entry. Like, it's very accessible. What's that? It's a low barrier to entry. It's very accessible. It's not like a high country hunt. Yeah, but it's kind of sold as this like super cool thing, which it can be. Yeah. But then you get out there and you your fucking feet hurt, you're starving, and your lips are chapped because you didn't drink enough water, and animals are blowing out. It's hotter than hell. You didn't sleep where the shit because there's a rock under your mattress or your air pad deflated, right, or whatever. Pick it. It rained all day. Now all your shit's wet. And that part doesn't get as glorified as the coolness and photos or whatever. And so like when people head out West and they're like, okay, I'm going on my first 12 day backpack hunt. I'm like, yeah, no, you're not like, probably not going to make it. What do you mean? And I'm like, I played, I played college football. I'm like, yeah, I I don't care if you're, you know, talk to Jesus daily. Mm -hmm. Like you're not going to make 12 days. There's one percentile that can do that. So doing like maybe three to four days and integrating yourself into it, kind of working slowly because a 12 day, stint is a bit living off your back i mean that's that's a tall order yeah well especially for most people when they're not adapted to that at all like it they go from zero to 60 it's like hey i you know i'm doing day hunts and and things like that and now i'm going on this 12 day you know backcountry hunt and it's like you have no idea how to function that way yeah and i can say it on the other end of whitetail hunting like i remember thinking i'll sit all day if i have to and I made it to like 10 and I'm like, no, nah, I'm getting the fuck out of this three stand. Um, <laughs> well, you know, dude, f- <laughs> full disclosure, we, we've never done that. We've never, I've ne- uh, like lived off our backs basically for a hunt. Like, no, I mean, I've done, I've done backpacking trips, but not hunts. Yeah. Yeah. And I've stayed in tents and stuff, but it's, you know, not like you're doing. No. <laughs> Well, and I mean, I find enjoyment in it, obviously, like people fight in a cage and find enjoyment and getting hit in the face. Everybody has enjoyment of pain of some sort, you know, some way, whether that be long distance running, swimming, whatever. So like on the on the backpack hunting side or like what I was just doing, you know, you're dropped off in a tiny little pond or on a, you know, ridge line where the the the, you know, it's kind of a two seater aircraft can land and then, you know, off you go for seven to 10 days and then you know, you're either got to find your way back to where that plane can land or, or coordinate a lake that you can, or, or landing strip you can get to, um, with no support at all. And if weather comes in, you're obviously stuck there even longer. So that higher level of, of, uh, you know, field craft or whatever is, is definitely there as well as navigation and knowing where you're going. Also getting the animal, you know, out and, and figuring out the easiest course or route to, to get that animal out. So you're not abusing your body. Um, that's kind of my thing. So I like that, but then, you, you, you know, I've went out and helped with like some whitetail habitat management and food plots. And, you know, I've helped cattle ranchers and I'm like, fuck, this is miserable for me. Like, I don't want to be <laughs> out here, you know, planning shit. Like I want to be on the ground. So everything's got its own yeah. source of pain. It's just what you're used to or what you prefer. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a good point. I think that, you know, if you, if you look at the media side of things for anything, I think the one thing that people will believe is that whatever they see on it looks easy, right? The, it it can only prepare you so much for what you're getting into. So if you're showing this, you know, seven to eight, 10 day Alaska hunt for caribou or whatever, you know, some people say, oh, you know, that doesn't, 
you can't necessarily depict as much the things that are happening behind the scenes, whether it's the you know grizzly bear experiences or the the weather hardships and things like that. So, you know, uh, oftentimes if there's a if there is a downfall on a lot of the content and media that's being put out, it's what you see and how that you're taking that and perceiving it to say, well, yeah, you know, that didn't seem too bad. I could go do it. Then once you're in it, it's a whole different situation. Well, exactly what he was talking about earlier. Like the, just even the lack of sleep, the travel just to get to where you're going in most places is enough to like wipe, wipe a lot of people out. Mm-hmm. Even deer hunting, dude, like just even white tail deer hunting as I'm walking, uh, like in the dark, like early in the morning with my stand on my back, I'm like, I think to myself, I'm like, freaking, this is hard. Like a lot of people wouldn't do this. Mm-mm. You know, no. climbing trees, like even just basic stuff. I mean, that's not survival even at all, sure. but it's just the barrier to entry to, to hunting is, you know, it's not easy. You yeah. Think- and I, I think that's probably where like, you know, circling back, it's easier than it once was. And that's where yeah. maybe older crusties, you know, and I'll include myself in some of that. Not that I get irritated over it, but like, I, I more make jokes about it. Like, dude, I, do you know how much of a game changer a rangefinder was? Like, oh yeah, I did. That big Bushnell 500, which was like the equivalent of carrying a Bible on your chest, and it had just a yeah. ocular. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, obviously things have changed since then, but like the, the, the rangefinder would be number one, I guess, as far as like catapulting things. But that mapping software and stuff, think how many people would be lost or not yeah. into the woods without a GPS or mapping software. People yeah. get lost on their way home from work still because they have to plug it into their phones. Like, dude, you do this twice a day, I every do. day. Dude, I catch my, <laughs> I catch my, not on the way home from work, but I catch myself. Like, my, if my phone yeah. dies and I'm like, where am I? Like, how, yeah. am, I, how am I going to get home? I no map to quest stop somewhere and buy a phone charger so I can navigate my way home, you know? Yeah. I mean, as we talk about this, uh, tell you the dip, like for me, the lo- most lost I've ever been, not where I was going to be in trouble lost, but turned around. Oh, was whitetail hunting in Alabama. Um, it's flat, <laughs> there's no mountains. There's, you know, it's I went just after flat, a deer yeah, pines. Well, I went, I, I went after a deer I'd hit with a headlamp on. I didn't mark my stand. You know, I'm whitetail hunting. It's air quotations easy. And uh, I get in there and I find it and I kind of looking around. I'm like, shit, I don't know where I even came from. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to track myself back, but there were so many deer in that wood line. I'm like, okay, so I'm think I'm following my track, but now I'm like, okay, where am I coming from? What if this isn't my track? I'm going to be even more lost or whatever. And obviously I can just walk in one direction and hit a road. So my life sure. wasn't at jeopardy where it would be in the mountains. But, you know, even, even that, like, it's kind of funny. Um, People ask, like, the most lost I've ever been in the mountains. And I'm like, it was in fucking Alabama in the swamp, and I was lost. <laughs> I ended up walking to the highway and looping back to get back to my stand. Yeah. Man, the, the rangefinder thing, you're right, though. Like, I remember when I first got a rangefinder and was in the tree stand with it, I was like, holy shit, I suck at ranging. Like, I'd be like, that bush is like, you know, you sit there and you're like, eh, 25 yards. 37, <laughs> you know, it's just that, that was the reality of it. You know, when you were going in and when you were target shooting, at least for me in my backyard, right. I paced it. It's like, okay, targets here, pace back 20 market pace back there. And that's not accurate. You know, I'll, I'll bet. Yeah. Um, I'll bet in the what? Sorry, go ahead. Aaron. Oh, I just, on the rangefinder side of things, like I shot tournaments back in the day. So unknown yardage tournaments. So oh, yeah. I, I really attribute to a lot of the animals that I've shot over the years is being able to judge on the fly from shooting so many tournaments where like rangefinders that like now known pro and known yardage is the thing back then there was no, 
I mean, that was like sleeping with your sister. You didn't use a rangefinder. Like you get kicked <laughs> off the course. Um, and now, like you're the you're, you know, like I'm, I'm super close friends with 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 Levi Morgan and and, and uh, several other tournament archers. And you shot 280 feet per second, plus or minus three percent. Yeah. And it was all unknown out to 50 yards, plus or minus three yep. percent. So like elk hunting or whatever, it was huge to be able to judge because you're you're. You're calling in an animal, you know, closer, you know, the, the hope is obviously sub 50, but definitely, you know, or sub 20, but definitely sub 50 where, you know, you had a realistic chance where you could judge to hit it. Then you go antelope hunting and you don't have a range finder. Well, shit, it's in the prairie. Like the yeah. first year range finders came out was the first year I shot an antelope. I wasn't chunking, you know, arrows in the buckwheat. because <laughs> I, I was like, oh, it, that's 67. Shit. I thought it was like 42. So <laughs> yeah. I'll bet the rangefinders were probably at least in the you know recent history like the the, the greatest innovation. I, I would think in uh, for for accuracy and efficiency probably yeah hundred percent. The the way I always look at it is okay tomorrow if you take away X Y or Z yeah what will have the most um what do you want to call it? I guess not not result but what will have the most um, impact. Uh, impact thank you Jesus. Mm-hmm. impact good or bad right right on hunting yep well range finders number one to me right yep. like you, mm. you know what i mean like you could say okay we'll go back 30 years and shoot those compounds they're still accurate right yeah um so the range finders number one obviously and then you, you go okay well what else as far as archery what was a big one uh you know some of the different technology and sights and things like that are definitely you know important mm-hmm. speed on some of the bows is mm-hmm. important but you know, like somebody says, well, let's just take away high tech clothing. Well, fuck. All right, I'll wear wool. I don't. Yeah, shit. like that's not a big deal. But take my rangefinder away. I'm not worth a fuck, and I can. I mean, I, I'll, and I mean, it goes back pretty far. It's not like oh, 10, 15 years ago. But uh, take away releases and go back to shooting fingers, and that would there you that go. would make a hell of an impact. That's a big one. Hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Well, and so, go ahead. I, so I, I may eat my words just from you bringing that up because that's a freaking that's a good point. I guess you could shoot fingers, but it's. I mean, my dad shot fingers in like 2004. So. <laughs> yeah, but he also thought he had a 10 yard pin last year. So, uh, dude, I bet in the in the northeastern Midwestern world, the thing that not that we couldn't do without them, but that's made the the biggest change is, is trail cameras, undoubtedly yeah, for whitetails, undoubtedly. Like, no. dude, just because you never did see them you know you had no idea you just hear about yep. like oh it's buck this salmon a field or soybean field and that was about the, the rarity know, of it all of a sudden you've got like the 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 blanket's been lifted on like this underworld mm-hmm. of white stuff we can see what they all are we know what they are mm-hmm. you know f- for better or worse per you know well, fuck they name them yeah like hey yeah yeah oh sure hijack or whatever and uh you know and it which was cool whatever but i mean yeah, the the game camera thing, include like Arizona too, is bad. Like there's states out west you're banning them because yep. the big thing is is obviously like hunter like uh, animal pressure and how that affects yeah. obviously mortality rate. But like you know, there's places in Arizona you go to water hole, there's 27 cameras. On That's yeah. the crazy. Uh, somebody who told Eldridge, us, El, Jeremy Eldridge, told yeah. us, yeah, because yeah, when I heard that, I was like, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's just like you know, insane to think about. Cause if like we walk into an area and we're like, Hey, we should put a camera here. And there's a camera there. We're like, well, we're not putting one here. And you leave. Oh no, it's crazy. You put a ground blind up. There's highly probable that somebody's going to be in your ground blind the next day and be like, well, you should have got here earlier. And there's not shit you can do about it. Wow. Yeah. Do you got, do you guys work with Hoyt then? What do you mean? There's not shit you can do about it. You can take your blind back. Can't you? 
it would be it's on public land so like that's a fine line like you left it there so. oh because it's illegal to leave it there just right. depends if you can beat the guy's ass or not yeah bigger yeah no yeah. we do we work with eldridge and hoyt oh gotcha yeah no he's a good good dude evan actually used to work for me oh yeah 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 he was actually little evan back then he's not little evan now evan has put on some mass uh, <laughs> in the last few years. He was actually probably 145 pounds when I met him. I think he's probably 210 now. Whoa, that's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, no, Aldridge is a, is a good dude. And yeah, he we were talking to him kind of about some of those new changes and, and he brought up the camera band. Because I think, is did Utah ban them too? Did that happen? I think so. Somebody did. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that's what we were talking about. And he said, yeah, and, you know, you get to these water holes and it's just, it's crazy how many cameras are up. Yeah. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I, I think like with technology or, or whatever else, like, I mean, the thing that I kind of preach, there's nothing wrong with using a rangefinder. There's nothing wrong with no. using mapping software, but I, I strongly encourage people to learn how to manually land, like navigate, learn to read a map, learn to plot mm-hmm. a 10 integrate coordinate, learn lat long, like learn intersection, resection, like be able to, when your phone goes down, be just as efficient, maybe not as fast, but as efficient as you were, um, you know, to get off the mountain or whatever else. And obviously I'm old school, so I use a map a lot more uh, than, you know, than, than most and prefer that. But learning that and then having both makes you far more dangerous on the mountain. Learning how to judge yardage and having ranger finder makes you far more dangerous on the mountain. And so having that skill set just makes you a better hunter and a better woodsman and, and outdoorsman knowing all of those things, including like, like it's, I know it's crazy and I sound like an old fart, but not tying. Like, <laughs> you know, I always make jokes about, you know, whatever it's a sex knot cause it's all fucked up. Learning a few knots like square knots and a bowline or a prussic or whatever, like yep. learning things like that. So that can save your life at times or certainly get you out of different situations. Western hunting, like, you know, obviously whitetail hunting is a little bit different as far as that, the, the field craft portion of it, depending upon where you're at, but it, it is a, a, it's a good thing to know, um, you know, whether it's building a fire or making a shelter or whatever. I think the, um, and, and, you know, I, I learned it a long time ago from maps and stuff, but I think, uh, it, it's surprising how many people, if you handed them a compass, couldn't tell you the first thing about it. They'd have no freaking idea what to do with it. Now I, I, I give seminars and teach classes. No, believe me, it's like the compass that Jack Sparrow has. It like points the direction that you're yeah. that you're wanting most. I'm like, hey, that the fucker only points one way, and that's northway. I'm not sure what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, they have no idea. And then if you try to, you know, get a bearing or something, no clue. Hmm. Uh, and it's not. Yeah. It's not. I mean, it is a. It's it's a skill. Um, you know, especially if you're trying to plot bearings and things like that. But See, um, I, dude, I don't even know what that is. Plot a bearing for on like maps. Exactly. Like, it, what? It's uh, you wouldn't plot a bearing, yeah. but I mean, I get what you're trying to say. But um, when you when you have a, a map, right? You're gonna have. I'm gonna simplify this, right? You've got it's a like bunch of different squares on that map. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the Earth was mapped uh, with vertical and horizontal lines. I'm with you. And that's one big square, and mm-hmm. then that gets broke down to smaller squares, and then. If you read UTM, that's a thousand meter grid square. Mm-hmm. And if you turn like your watch on and say, you know, uh, you know, I need my location, there's going to be some numbers on there depending upon what language you speak. But if it's UTM, that's going to give you a 10 digit or eight digit grid. And that will 
give you the numbers to plot on that map within three meters of your exact location. No wow. different than a GPS desk mm -hmm. for you. Um, the thing with that is like when you're talking about a bearing, uh, a bearing is like the direction. Direction, travel, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, but which you could plot on the map, but like when you get lost, if you just know terrain association and you have a map, you can generally look left and say, okay, I've got extremely high jagged peak to my left. And you say, okay, I got a really big valley in front of me. I've got a long ridge line to my left, right. And then a pretty good, yep. Okay. There's three jagged teeth there. So if you can read topo lines and, and uh, you know, do terrain association, you can say, well, shit, I'm about yeah. within a hundred meters. I'm right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Learning those kind of things is you know, super important, especially Western hunting. Yep. Yeah. And that's, you know, most people rely on this now. That's funny. It's like, man, it's not even a thought for us most of the time. Mm -hmm. You know, usually it's... Uh, the only time I use a compass is if I'm just like in the middle of nowhere and I'm trying to see where the wind's at. I'm just like, oh, okay. You know, west. Which, you know, I mean, when you don't need to use it, it's not as important. And, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to take up like too, too much time or whatever. I And I should probably go here a little bit. My wife doesn't kill me. But like when you have... It's kind of like uh, in, in the military, every, you know, the military always bases their next war off of their last one, right? And so that may not be the best decision. So a lot of times you're basing what you're doing, training, practicing off of your last experiences. So you miss the deer because you punched the trigger. So you're going to work on you mm -hmm. know, the shot process. Okay, well, if your last, let's say your first backpacking trip, you carried way too much shit. Well, your next one, you're probably going to be way too light. Yeah. Right. And so, like, you know, if you're if you never had a GPS go down or your phone run out of battery, it's not that important. But the moment you do and it's sheer panic, guarantee you're going to start Googling and learning how to land nav um, yeah. or how to navigate. It's just it doesn't happen to most people because they're not in that situation because of technology. And, you know, they're not out long enough for a battery to run out or they don't flip a canoe over in a river or a raft where they're like, shit, now my battery's dead or my, yeah. my phone's bright. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, let me ask you this before we, you know, we got to part ways here, but, um, so you know that Jeremy and I have done a North Dakota hunt. I, I've killed, I killed an elk in Colorado last year, last year. And mm -hmm. so, so I've done like, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, Western hunting. I, I think, I don't know if it's me leading the vision or not, or if we both have this dream, but I would love to do a high country Colorado mule deer hunt at mm -hmm. some point. Maybe or, not, maybe not Colorado, any state or elk muley combo. Yeah. I'm on the muleys, dude. The elk are kind of whatever for me. Yeah. Honestly. Mm -hmm. uh, but a high country muley hunt. Like what, what do you, th what do you think would be a good next step for us to like, you know, obviously not this year or, you know, but, but to start to like plan for or dream for what's an attainable tag What's something that, you know, would make sense. Yeah, I mean, it depends, obviously, like you said, the state, which state you're wanting to hunt. But, I mean, uh, Colorado's a draw for all of mule deer. So, obviously, figuring out what unit you're going to want to hunt and then figure out the draws and normal stuff with that. Yeah. Um, you know, and then after that, really, it's it's not to overly simplify it, but with mule deer, it's for high country mule deer, it's more or less time behind the glass, right? Like, there's mule deer everywhere in the western states, right? So, once you backpack in which I will say there's people all over, you're generally running into elk hunters, but once you get back there, right, it's just a matter of just parking your ass in a few different spots for, you know, you always want to glass one full morning and one full evening uh, or evening then morning before you maybe move on to another spot. It's just time behind the glass. And then at that point, you know, on the stock, which 
this may not be exactly what you're asking, but they generally are going to bed down between nine or 10 within 30 minutes after that they re-bed. Re Once they re-bed, that's generally where they're going to be planted for a while. Then it's learning long distance stocks in the high country where you, mm -hmm. you know, however you, I teach classes on this, but you know, whatever, whether you use your phone or take a photo or whatever to come in on top of it, to get the shot. Like, so as far as attainability, super attainable, obviously I would try to stay seven days back there if you can, depending upon how far it is, really good optics, really, you know, tripod glass, uh, you know, glassing off the tripod, like picking the out man, the mountainside apart. Cause it's not going to be like you're seeing 20, 30 deer a day. Mm -hmm. You might see three or four, mm -hmm. but it's certainly attainable. Um, you know, I don't know if I'm answering your question. Or yeah. Not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you are. Well, I guess one thing on the glass. So like, and we, I don't know, like we, we rant about these things because for us and like for our experiences, they work amazingly. And I'm curious for somebody who I'm sure spends a lot of time behind the glass, what your thoughts would be on this. You've heard of these like image stabilizer, uh, you know, technology. I, I, would, I would not, uh, I would not take those into the, the field. Personally. So talk about that. Yeah. Why not? Uh, so, you know, when you, when you look at optics and I'm assuming you're talking, are you using the SIGs? No, ours are Canons. Canon. Yeah. Okay. Canon. So like if you, um, when you look through, um, you know, your objectives on, on glass, the image stabilization portion is out the window once it's on a tripod because uh, mm -hmm. it's just as steady on a tripod mm -hmm. as it is on the image stabilization glass. Free handing is different. Like whitetail hunting, it makes sure. total sense. You're shitting your pants, the deer's coming in or whatever, it stabilizes <laughs> yep. it. Yes. But what you're wanting, obviously, is the clearest from edge to edge. So the reason why people get migraines um, is your eye is automatically going to move to the clearest portion of that glass. And you're not always going to be looking down the dead center of that. So as your eye goes to the edge, it snaps back over and over. And we're talking about glassing for four to six, eight, ten hours at a time. Yeah. So over time, you're going to get a headache from that. So one of it is just to build image stabilization binoculars. The optical portion of that or the glass is going to be lacking clarity in comparison to a higher end quality you know, optic. Not to say you can't get it done with image stabilization optics but if you're glassing off a tripod you're always going to be even somebody freehanding image stabilization optics because you're still not gridding correctly where you're going left to right like reading a book mm -hmm. exact you move your tilt or pan head over you come back it's very it's just like reading a book it's grid squares you can't do that freehanding image stabilization binoculars you have to put those on a tripod and what you gained on the image stabilization you lost in edge-to-edge -edge clarity, chromatic aberration, things like that, and then also light gathering. They're not going to be as bright because of how it's built. So mm. do they work? Yes. Is that the optic I would choose for a high country hunt? It would be at the bottom of the list. Hmm. What is it that loses that edge-to-edge -edge clarity? What, why would like a, a high-quality spotting scope have that over these you know, image-stabilized bin binoculars? Um, well, and let's just say uh, binocular to binocular, you know, so whatever. Um, Oh, it's just the way that they're built, right? It's just the, when I say they're built, it's the quality of glass um, that goes into it um, and then how they're built. But the quality of glass is the biggest portion of it. The image stabilization portion of it costs money. Yeah. If you add the highest end glass as well as that image stabilization portion and the weight of it, of you're charts. looking at a five pound yeah. set of binoculars that's probably six or seven thousand dollars. Yeah. Yep. Makes yep. sense. Well, it makes sense that we've kind of gravitated toward us because I've never glassed for more than 
what Jeremy hour an hour max and so I like we don't have issues with glassing migraines right and for us it's more from the truck it's more like so in the Dakotas it's like hey drive the loop yeah. and you want to be able to throw them up throw them up and as quickly as possible identify what you're looking at so yeah or at a peak locate and go but I'm glad that I asked because we probably will do a hunt like that at some point and I without well, asking it, you I probably would have just yeah it up and brought them you know well, and I mean, we've, I mean, and I'm not saying this isn't a, like a, a bragging thing or whatever else. It's just, we, we spend a lot of time out here, you know, glassing is like, we've, we've definitely had past people that, that we, you know, knew weren't lying to us that were like, man, we didn't see anything. And they're like, yeah, we glassed this morning. There's no deer back there or whatever. And they could have been lying to us, but they didn't really glass, right? They might've thrown their optics up free hand yeah. and looked around, but I'm talking picking a mountain apart, mm-hmm. like for hours at a time. And I mean, that's what it, well, that's what it takes. Um, you know, and, and to a point, like there's times where when I go to my spotter and I carry a little bit bigger optics, so I'll carry a 95 normally, or definitely an 85. I am literally looking at every patch of trees, zooming in to the highest power I can looking inside of that patch of trees, looking for a beam, looking for velvet, looking for an ear. And a lot of times that is what you find is an ear. You find a hoof, you find whatever, most people aren't going to glass at that level, but to be, especially as competitive as nowadays, you literally, you start with low hanging fruit, free handing quick where deer should be. You go to a tripod with binoculars, you grid out with that. And I mean, pick it apart. Then you go to the spotting scope and you do the same thing. Anything with shade, a rock could have a leg sticking out of it. Cause you know, where you're seeing like, okay, there's a leg there. It takes a level of patience and, and, and dedication to glass at that level that, that most people, I won't say are incapable of, they just don't know what it what it takes until you're back there. And it sucks fucking monkey balls, right? There's nothing worse than being behind a spotter for 12 hours or, or binoculars. But to be successful, sometimes that's what you have to wow. do. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, that's you, wild. You find that you turn a lot of stuff up, like after, I guess I don't know how to ask that question. Like, you know. Uh, I, I think I know what you're asking. Go like, for it. After four hours of glassing, you still pick things up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. And that's why you do it. Otherwise, like you do that four or five times and you don't pick anything up. And the the allure of like uh, something coming is gone. And you're like, yeah, fuck that. I'm not doing that anymore. But yeah, you always, even if it's glassing and something just moves, right? Sun hits them and they reposition. Or, or you know, when you're going down to like the, the, the very minute detail glassing where you're literally looking at logs for beams sticking over it. You know, nine times out of 10, I'm a little bit better on a spot, spotter that I'm finding things that my buddy may find 10 deer, but I find three that he would have never found because I'm looking at those little, really minute detail mm-hmm. areas. So. Mm. Interesting. Hard to consider even like 12 hours behind a spotting scope, huh? Well, it, yeah. it's not straight, but it's pretty much straight, right? Like, I mean, when sure. I say that, I stop, go, you know, punch my clown, take a piss, walk around, stretch my legs. You know what I mean? Mix, yeah. Make some food. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's definitely you're within, you know, a 20, 20 yard circumference of where you're glassing, taking breaks occasionally. So. It does kind of sound like in a, in a weird, torturous, sick way. It kind of sounds appealing. It's like I, I'm up mm-hmm. for that challenge. Well, honestly, you know what it sounds like is sitting on a tree stand for 12 hours. Yeah, kind of. Like same, same, just kind of exhausting in a way way that you wouldn't understand unless you're doing it. Ears open, eyes always looking, you know, what's that squirrel doesn't matter. Like all of those things kind of, you know, have your senses on overload. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So when you come off the glass or you come off the stand after 10 or 12 hours, you're fucking spent. I bet. Like you feel spent. I bet. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's, 
you know, from a white tail relation to it. I mean, that's, that's the way I would look at it. So. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. But, uh, fellas, I should probably. No, you're good, man. We appreciate it, brother. For yeah, we appreciate you jumping on and and uh, spending some time with us, man. And you're welcome anytime, dude. I know this was kind of a quick one, and we were scrambling here in the beginning anyway. So if if you get off the mountain at some point in the future, like, hey, dude, let's let's pick up where we left off. You're you're welcome anytime. I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys having me on and, and what you're doing. I think it's great. So thank you. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate All right, buddy. It. Thanks, man. Yep. Take it easy. See ya. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Muddy and Stealth Cam Trail Cameras. Cell cams, cell cams, cell cams. What an evolution the industry has seen. And we've experienced personally over the past five, ten, you know, whatever cameras were invented, right? It's like, man, it's totally changed the way that we inventory deer, pattern deer, and ultimately the decisions that we make when we're going out to hunt. They're a serious piece of the puzzle. And, and uh, you know, that information is invaluable for us. We trust the Muddy and Stealth Cams, you know, together to be able to, to collect any of that information. Yeah, I mean, as an admitted trail cam addict, you know, I've definitely been guilty of of under hunting places or relying too heavily on that information that's come in that said it's an invaluable tool to the overall management plan and strategy that i have for my own properties or even hunting public land it doesn't matter we have a finite amount of time in going out and hunting so when you and i are after a particular class or quality of deer usually a mature buck we can't waste time hunting an area where that deer doesn't exist. And those cell cams provide that information that allow us to spend the time in the area with the highest chance to accomplish our goals. I say it all the time, man. They can't kill them if they're not there. That's it. So right now, any of our listeners can use uh, code HUNTER20 to get 20% off either muddy or stealth cameras. Uh, we're certainly going to be taking advantage of that, and we hope you guys do too. Yep, check out Stealth Cam and Muddy. Good to have Aaron on there. I know he's, uh, well, shit, he, he's been gone for five and a half weeks. He just came home to see his wife, and he's gone again. Man, after five and a half weeks, I'm honored that he would think of us. He, yeah. He hit us up the other day. It was like, hey, I'm back. Slid right Let's off of the it. British Columbia mountain and into the podcast room. Yeah, I knew that about him early. Like, he, he spent a lot of time in the field. Well, I mean, it's August and September. Like, once you get into October and November, I bet it fades real fast. Yeah. After five weeks in a field, I'd be surprised if this podcast is what gets his wife to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's like, listen, Can this you guy imagine is- telling your wife, hey, uh, as per usual every year, I'm about to go out on my five and a half week thing. I'll be back for five days, though. But let me throw this out there. Could you imagine the having five and a half weeks between mid-October and late November to just be hunting for five and a half weeks straight white tails that's what i'm doing right <laughs> pretty oh, much I'm 70. i have to work during midday and stuff. yeah you have to work uh, but he's like gone yeah i know he's just on the hunt that's pretty cool pretty awesome you kill i'm jealous you kill a lot of deer that way oh yeah yeah you just you know it'd be it'd be cool just to be it's there I mean, are people that do it it, I mean, it sucks I to have to pull yourself out of it you know to, to, to do actual work i hear a lot of people are like eh, i'm hunting you know i hunt 70 to 80 days a year and i'm like what the like, where do you work? How do you do that? Mm-hmm. Are you retired? I don't know. I mean, everybody's got different deals. Uh, so, like, I work from home. Speaking of retired, uh, did your dad kill anything? Uh, they're killing stuff. So, Seth, <laughs> Seth shot a 4x4 four four bowl. Not elk, but, I mean, they're killing stuff. Seth shot a 4x4 four four bowl. Okay. Aaron shot a 5x5 five five muley. Whoa. Which I assume just has small brows, 4x4. Four four. So, he drew a muley tag? I think, yeah. Okay. I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, uh, this one doesn't work. Those guys are both gun hunting though. Oh, they're gun hunting. And dad's got his bow for elk. Uh, Who and, else is with them? That's it? The two of them and Seth's son, who's okay. young. Like, Is that who you normally 12, go with? Or 16. 
who he goes with? No, like when you went last year. No, that, no, no. Different group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those guys were there like for the burn. They're local uh, okay. to the farm. So your dad's the only one bow hunter. Willie's in Africa. He just oh, sent yeah, us right. a kudu and stuff that he killed. So your dad's the only bow hunter right now. Mm -hmm. Yep. No and luck yet. No, well, luck on those. I think yeah. they're all helping each other. I got gotcha. you. And uh, so they got everything packed out and like sounds like it's going pretty smooth so far. And they took a break for a three-day spa. Jesus, that is Dwayne to a T. <laughs> I guarantee my dad, he's like, well, there's a hot spring. Yeah, I was going to say, hey, hot spring. There's a hot spring here. He's like, what if we, so I, th I think in total. Three-day spa break. I think in total they were going to hunt like 10 days. So they, they pulled out and were at the spa the last I heard. <laughs> the hot spring, whatever it is, this, you know. There's rotten bulls on that mountain. You ever been in a hot spring? Oh, yeah. Pretty therapeutic. It's on my uh, bucket list. I, I have yet. Really? Uh, yeah. Colorado is the place to do it. Some of those hot springs you could go into, and then you jump in the river, and it goes from like 90 degrees to like 50. Damn. You almost go into shock. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I, I heard Some that of it goes colder than that. Dude, when I was out oh, yeah. there this winter, it was like well, yeah. Not in the zero degrees. <laughs> it was freezing. Is yeah. it true that most hot springs smell like sulfur? Yeah. Yes. Do all of them? Uh, I've not been in all know. of them, but yeah, most of them. The one I was in is smelled it like, like sulfur. Is it like... It's know. pretty doable. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sulfur and urine. Yeah. It's fine. Urine's not it's natural like to the sulfur. Oh, it's, it's not enough. <laughs> it's, it's enough that you're like... Yeah. Yeah. Seven out of it ten... Might be, it might be you. Seven out of ten chance you get a new guy in one, too. So just throwing <laughs> that out there. And nudists love the, yeah. love the hot oh, springs. Oh, a nude guy, you said. Yeah. Nude guy. Uh, Could after, be Dwayne Prussia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> after my internship in Alaska, my dad actually flew out and met me out there. And mm -hmm. our trip was to drive down from Fort Yukon to... Or from... Uh, uh, North Pole, which is right by... Uh, the North Pole? The North With Pole. With Santa? Yes. Oh. 100%. Wow. Surprised he let you out of work that early. <laughs> Get this, dude. It's the real North Pole. It's like <laughs> maybe self-proclaimed, but it's recognized mm -hmm. as the North Pole. Mm -hmm. Elves and all. Elves and all. Reindeer. Wow. There's a place that sells reindeer sausage right up the road. Very nice. <laughs> Undoubtedly. I mean, that's right. Yeah. Did you eat it? Yes, I did. I bet it's great. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Yep. The plan was to drive uh, from there all the way down to Anchorage, where we did mm -hmm. a, like a little fishing trip. And along the way, we stopped somewhere at this like famous hot spring or whatever. And it was funny because it was definitely set up for like it was it was a bunch of like uh, cu couples mm -hmm. and like um, honeymooners and stuff. And like my dad and I, <laughs> whatever I was, sixteen That's or something funny. like that. And yeah, it was pretty funny. Kind of weirdly surrounded by intimacy, and it's like, hey, uh, hey, hey. <laughs> mind if we get? Just avoid, get avoid in? eye contact. We can get in. Yeah. Okay, okay, cool. Just me and my boy. <laughs> so, I mean, he's got some days left. Then I don't know, dude. Like, because I thought he was supposed to be here. I thought he was supposed to be getting home tomorrow, but I texted him today because he was pretty chatty there for a bit, and but he didn't respond. So I guess he's. I think he's hunting again now. Hunt, is okay. my thinking. I think he's on his last couple of days of hunting, and he'll be home like in the next couple of days. Cool, very cool. So yeah, I mean, they killed a bull, got to meet off successfully, killed a, a muley. So yeah, nice. I mean, they're they're in elk and stuff. So cool. same outfitter, no outfitter, DIY. Wow. Yeah, public. Whoa. Yeah, that's impressive. I know. Yeah, I'm impressed. I didn't even know it was rifle season. He's got those old uh, bikes that we have. Oh, I would have left them on the mountain, put a Me too. bullet behind the ear. Did he show you the setup? He was hauling like a ton of weight with him. Yeah, I remember he sent me a picture, and your mom was looking he, at him like he he's may have. Die on that I don't thing. know if he if there's 
Yeah, what it what, what it was like ninety pounds of no, gear. No, it was like two hundred and fifty pounds. Plus him. Plus him. <laughs> it, on a on an old school I told him. I was like, ridge bike that barely held us. <laughs> I told him I was like, I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah. But I don't think he'd get off the trailhead before that thing blew a tire. I don't know. There was extras sitting on the uh on the porch the other day when I was up there. Tires? I think he ordered them and they didn't come in time. I don't know. I'd just hang it up in a tree somewhere and let her be. Yeah. Set her free. I don't know. I'm sure we'll get the whole story when yeah, soon. Yeah. We should have him on. Soon enough. Bring my, my dad. It yeah. would be uh <laughs> it, it probably I think people would enjoy a dad recap of Kansas. Yeah, that'd be with fun. them in studio. That'd be fun. That would be great. They'd have fun with that. Start off the new we'll year. We'll see, dude. Kansas sounds like a... Did you commit, by the way, to our... I'm going to book it this week, okay, I guess. so we're going. I mean, we're going to Kansas. Yeah, okay. Okay. I mean, I would assume we're going to the same place. We haven't really seen anything big, else big that tells us mark. not. Sure, I mean... Well, to to that point, um, I thought we would go to our normal place and start hunting. And if, like, three or four days in, it's like, eh, I don't know. We'll just drive two hours to... The next group of farms and hunt where the walk-in and stuff is. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I that's kind of what I'm feeling about it is if we can find some because it's our on the way home anyway. We'll just go go to, yep. go back to. I'd like to go to New Public. Like, I was thinking going down further south on the um, the river. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking too. I mean, even if we drive 45 minutes, like we drove an hour last time to Lease. Yeah. Be nice or if, north. It'd be nice even if we could set the dads up. Like one of the dads could pick the other dad up and they're close. And then even if you and I drove. Can the dads be self-sufficient? I don't know. We'll come home and I'm like. Uh, We're like, did you hit one? He's like, the question is how many? Yes. The question is, we've been napping. <laughs> <laughs> we just woke up. Is it time to go? Oh, it's nine o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, that would be fun though. Uh, I'd be up for have that. The, have the dads in pod for a, a Kansas recap. <laughs> I don't know what we would get out of that one, honestly. We'll do it. So, um, but yeah, we are going to Kansas. I, my so. dad's probably been waiting for me to ask him. Come on, think so? Maybe he's got nothing but time. I know all of his friends are like, "Oh, hey, we watch the podcast and stuff," and he's like, he hears about it. <laughs> you know, uh, we'd have to have an un uh, an unswearing version for Dwayne. There you go. Yeah, and him like when we drop the f bombs, uh, the straight edge. I see. Yeah. He's all right. No, he's fine. Yeah, he, he can roll. He's gotten better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom doesn't like it, but yeah, yeah well, <laughs> just get a few few hazies in the dads. Uh-huh. Ooh, actually, Nick in Kansas we drank Miller High Life. Yeah, yeah, or Coors Original, bad. or Coors. Is it original? Oh yeah, Coors uh, Banquet. Yeah. Banquet. I, I was thinking it was Banquet. Yeah, it's Banquet. It's Banquets. I've had one of those before. They're not bad. One. That's all you can one. handle. How can you have just one? <laughs> I don't know. It was offered to me. Yeah. They feel right. Like the, whoever designed that bottle yeah. was like. I feel like when I drink a uh, Coors Banquet, I'm drinking a like a Duff beer from The Simpsons. <laughs> like The Simpsons. You know. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, we have Kansas, but um, could go for a high life right now. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> crack, crack one off the whole forehead. <laughs> Well, uh, we appreciate Aaron jumping on and talking to us a little bit about the Western side of things. We're, my, our minds are transitioning straight white tail. A couple here. bonuses coming at you. We just dropped my North Dakota one, and this Thursday. We'll drop uh, the Kentucky Elk bonus. in real time as you're listening to it. We'll drop 
uh, Jeremy's going to recap your Kentucky, Kentucky elk. elk hunt. I, and we'll probably, we'll see how these go over, but as we have eventful hunts, we'll try to maybe just throw them in as a bonus if it fits into the, the schedule. So word, we're going to throw them out there. But yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this season is about to open for many states. Um, we're in it, dude. Strap in. We're in it. Next six to eight weeks are going to be pretty freaking wild. Let's rock. All right. We'll see you next time. Later. It's take me. Oh.